from what I understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, this this was the democracy voucher program was passed through sort of a municipal ballot a few years back, and the way you're raising money for this um, is through a property tax levy. From what I gather, it's eight dollars per year or something around this mark. I believe it's eight dollars a year for the owner of a median size, median priced home in the city of Seattle. It was a ballot measure that went, and it passed by a two to one margin. Really about. 66, 33, thereabouts. And what year was that when it actually passed? That was 2015 when it actually passed. And when was the, the program actually implemented? Did it take a while to put in motion? Uh, we have here in Seattle, our municipal elections are every other year. So 2015, 2017, 2019, and so on and so on. So the first year that we mailed vouchers was 2017. And that year, they were eligible for use by the two city council members on the ballot running at large and the city attorney. Those are three offices are all elected citywide. From what I gather right now, it applies um, mainly to city council elections. Is that correct? Yeah, this year. So every so in 2017, the mayor, the city attorney and the two at large city council races were all on the ballot. All of those all of those seats are everybody in the city is eligible to vote for those. This year, 2019, it was only the seven district city council races that were on the ballot. I see. And in the in the future, is there is there? I think I read in a few articles that there was some talk of the mayoral elections also being brought into the fold with this. Is that still on the trajectory? Yes, the mayor's office will be eligible for the program in 2021. The way it works, right, from what I gather, is is through this property tax, you get a, a fairly substantial um, amount of, uh, uh, let's say, funds to, to play around with. And you get um, each resident, uh, each each re registered voter gets four $25 vouchers, right? So the, the property tax collects $3 million a year. So every election cycle, it collects $6 million for over that two years. And every registered voter, as well as people who are eligible to contribute but aren't registered voters, they can. those folks can enroll in the program. And yes, we mail them each $100 in vouchers. Right now, there are four $25 vouchers that we mail. And what's the impact you've seen? I mean, there was some discussion about um, how it's changed the way in which political campaigns have gone. They've sort of hit the street and canvassed and talked to people door to door a bit more. What's the impact you've seen? Well, I think we've seen two things. Um, first off, we've seen a lot of candidates uh, joining uh, the race. You know, it's only been about eight years since we had very sleepy elections here in Seattle, you know, where there'd be kind of the incumbent running against one vastly underfunded opponent or maybe two or three. Um, and this year we had, I believe, ultimately there were 62 candidates who ultimately were on the ballot and 53 of those signed up for the voucher program and 35 of those qualified to use the program. So on the on the candidate side, I think it has led to a to a robust growth in the number of candidates that are able to put together viable campaigns. And on the contributor side as well, I mean, like I mentioned 8 years ago, that was back then we had really 1 to 2% of of Seattleites ever gave to a local campaign. And this has really democratized the fundraising process. Now we've got tens of thousands of folks um, eligible to make campaign contributions. 
who, while they were eligible before, they just didn't have the resources to make a campaign contribution. I, I don't know how to ask this in a way, because I assume there's probably a limit to how you can discuss about this, but is there any discussion about um, limiting campaign financing beyond the voucher program? Um, you know, under the Supreme Court uh, decisions, you can't limit campaign spending. You just uh, that's just not allowable under the the way the First Amendment has been interpreted. So that is where campaign public financing comes into play. Ultimately, what the courts have said is, if you are conditioning someone's receipt of public funds on their agreeing to limit their spending, that's permissible. So that's one of the reasons why we have public financing here. Have you have you encountered any any sort of constitutional challenges to the program? Uh, yes, there was uh, somebody who two property owners sued and said, you know, you're forcing me to fund through my property taxes speech that I find abhorrent. And that was their First Amendment claim. And they failed 9-0 or 7-0, I think 7-0 at our state Supreme Court. They've now appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which is considering right now whether to take their appeal or not. This is happening right now? Yes. Yeah, they just filed it. I think last week they filed their, their appeal, their writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court only takes about 4 to 5 to 6% of appeals it gets. So just on the numbers, it's unlikely that this will be heard by the Supreme Court. But I would hate to never say never. And it's being challenged based upon a, a First Amendment issue. Right. I see. Uh, it, it's, it seems fairly well documented how the program is working and, and, and sort of what it's um, promoting. What do you see as, as future developments of it? Obviously, this is sort of a the, one of the one of, if not the first experiments I've I've ever heard of that that's taken on something of this nature. What do you see as the next steps? Um, you know, version 2.0. What do you see as the vulnerabilities? What does it need to be? Um, what are the gaps that need to be addressed that have arisen? I think you know. I think the number one vulnerability is that so few, even though we've had dramatic growth in the number of contributors, we've kind of topped out at that growth just because the campaign spending limits and the amount of money that we collect each year really doesn't allow for everybody to, to use their vouchers. So we told a lot of people this year that their vouchers were they couldn't contribute to the candidate who they supported because that candidate had already maxed out on the vouchers they could use. So that's the challenge is how do we continue to make the program attractive to candidates um, and at the same time increase the number of residents who can who can contribute their vouchers. What's the cap out of curiosity? Um, for the district races, it was $75,000 was what they could spend for the primary. And uh, if they made it through to the general election, those two candidates could spend up to 150000 For the at-large seats, it's three hundred. It's 150000 for the primary and 300000 for the for the general. The mayor's race is the potentially the most expensive. I think that one is 400000 for the primary and 800000 for the two candidates who make it to the general. And that's the other thing is we do need to look at those limits because this year I think 11 of the 12 candidates who participated in the program 
ultimately requested and were granted relief from those limits because their opponents and or independent expenditures um, in support of their opponents would exceeded that number. So that's another challenge. How do we, what, what is a realistic campaign spending limit? Wait, so are these, are these campaign spending limits that um, can be sort of funneled through the democracy voucher program or is it just campaign spending limits as a whole? Um, only, we can only have the campaign spending limit on the candidates who are participating in the voucher program. We can't impose a spending limit on, on candidates who don't agree to a spending limit. That's, that's where the complaint comes, that they're, they're being out, outperformed by some that, that aren't actually engaged in the program. Exactly. I see. Is there, is there, has that been attempted? I mean, is there an, is, or does that go back to the, the First Amendment challenges? Um, what, to put limits on candidates who are, aren't participating in the program? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's not allowable under a, under a decision from 1976. I see. So has this, um, the, the, the city council races, the mayoral races, when it gets incorporated into it, do you, do you see a change um, in terms of how people navigate the, the sort of urban fabric? I mean, do you, do you find people going to more denser areas, more um, in an attempt to get more democracy vouchers? Or is it, um, do, they, do they hit pockets of the city that were previously unattended? What have you seen in terms of the activation of the city itself? Uh, yes. Like I said, the one of the before before the voucher program, there was a map put together um, by an outfit called Sightline here, which kind of plotted where in the city campaign contributors lived. And they were, frankly, they were wealthy white homeowners with in-view properties. I mean, literally, the dots were all, all along the, the shoreline in the city. And now... The, that map looks very different now there there is not a neighborhood that does not have those dots so contributors are vastly better dispersed and more people have a voice in the direction of the city and that was uh, has it exceeded expectations in that regard i don't know if it's exceeded i mean that was that was one of the that was one of the goals so i'd say i would say the goal has been met i'm not sure exceeded or not but it, it i think it's we can chalk that one up as a as a goal that's been met. Is this the f uh, first prototype of this manner in in the U.S. being implemented? Yes, I mean there has long been public financing in the United States, which at the municipal level has really taken two forms prior to vouchers. One is a matching program. For example, if you're running for office in New York City and you collect a fifty dollar campaign contribution the city of New York matches that, I think six to one or seven to one. So the city will give you $300 for that $500 that you've collected. Hmm. Um, another form of public financing, it's called lump sum. And that's where you collect enough qualifying contributions that, that the, the government basically gives you a lump sum, like $150,000 to run your campaign. Those are rarer. But but they're not unheard of. And this was the, this is the first one which really tries to marry um, public financing. You know, being able to uh, to have candidates not beholden to large donors, with kind of an incentive for those candidates to get out in the community um, to gather their contributions, to to remain in the community and not just not just consider their fundraising done.
Hey, things like the lump sum, for instance, how are those uh, received in terms of legal appeals? Because it seems like that would encounter the same issue as uh, establishing a limit. Uh, no, because again, it's, it's candidates who don't participate are not, you can't ever, you can't require a candidate to participate in public financing. They have to agree to it. And if they agree to it, then they also generally have to agree to limits. I see. So you may actually have some interesting sort of cultural shifts, political cultural shifts taking place in the next years, I guess, as the democracy voucher program continues to solidify, right? In that candidates who are running within this may get a certain uptick just based on the fact that they're, you know, rejecting large scale contributions and accepting a different mode of, of campaign financing. Yeah, I mean, already this, it's been in place for just two election cycles and already nine of the 10 office holders who are eligible to participate in the program will be people who, I guess, let me just rephrase that. Of the nine city council members, eight of them will have been elected with the, with the youth help of vouchers as well as the city attorney. So the mayor's race after 2021, we could literally have 11 of the cities or 10 of the, 11 of the, wait, <laughs> I'm not very good with math. 10 of the 11 office holders in the city elected with the help of vouchers. Is there a possibility that it extends beyond the mayoral? Um, I mean, is, is there it being a, an experiment of sorts. Is there discussions of how this can spread to a state level? Yes, I think actually the the advocates for the program, there was, they put on a, a statewide initiative before the voucher program had even been through the test run in Seattle and that failed. But I would think that there will be efforts to uh, replicate it. I see. Although I will tell you, Albuquerque, New Mexico, just, they just voted down the they were hoping to be the second city with vouchers, but they narrowly defeated their voucher program uh, just last in this re most recent elections. How does that occur? Um, I'm curious that there's always this discussion within urban theory of how um, it's quite beneficial for um, cities like yours, for instance, to engage in experiments like this, um, especially within a um, federal system, let's say, where you know, there may be a certain homogeneity established on a top-down level, but because there's so many cities and municipalities and counties and state-level um, dynamics that having a city like yours experiment with things of this sort may help. Um, there may be other cities looking at you and seeing how this works and whether they can implement it. How does it actually work on a, on a sort of day-to-day -day level? I mean, for instance, Albuquerque, did folks from the specific urban departments reach out to yours and um, was there a consultation uh, established in any regard? Yes. Yeah. We we it is not unusual for us to get a call from a from other cities asking you know about how the program works and how it's how it's going and what what flaws have been identified and what what successes have been identified. So yeah, it is. We are. I'm hearing from a lot more people around the country than I heard of heard from before this program was put into place. Any international interest? I don't think I've heard anybody internationally. No. How does how does the the timeline work? So you have um, a ten year, uh, at least from what I read, it's sort of a ten ten year timeline on this experiment. Is there is there a renewal after that period? Uh, it certainly can be renewed. I mean, it would have to go back to the voters again, and voters would have to uh, approve it or disapprove of it. 
And when does that end? Is so? Is it twenty twenty five? Yes. Yeah, I think twenty twenty five would be the last elections held under the program. How many big races go into that by twenty twenty five? So the mayoral ones will get folded into it by then, right? Yes. And is there anything beyond the? I mean, in terms of Seattle city politics, city council, mayoral, are there any other um, divisions that are that are becoming incorporated into this? No, there are only the 11 elected offices in, in Seattle. All we have are the city council, the mayor, and the city attorney. Those are the only offices we elect here. So absent it growing, being adopted by the county or the state, that's all the races we'll ever have we'll ever have under the current program. I see. So one broad question, too, about this Seattle Ethics and Elections Commission. How long has this been around as a, as a, a sort of department? It's been around since the early 1970s. Um, there was a scandal um, back then with with gambling interests and prostitution interests and other other similar you know people paying off police officers to to look the other way. And the several people I think went to jail and the ethics commission was created. There was also a campaign commission that was created at roughly the same time and i think the two agencies were merged in the early 1990s so is this a i don't know department that you've targeted in terms of a career for a long time or do you just happen to find your way into it through a series of serendipitous uh turns what, what's been your what's been your uh launching pad into it <laughs> it has been serendipitous i worked in washington dc uh in, in in college and directly after college, and then found my way into law school. And my one of my first assignments at the law firm was to analyze whether a client had or had not violated any state laws by by taking some state legislators on a study mission abroad. So, and that kind of, I went on from that to be kind of the firm's ethics and compliance person and then made my way to the state ethics commission in Massachusetts and then took this job 15 years ago. So, yeah. Did, so did you get your uh, legal training in, in Massachusetts then? Actually, I got my legal training in New York, New York City. Okay. So you were in New York City actually in the 70s? Oh, no, that was back in, I was in New York City in the in uh, 1993 to 1996. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you were saying the Seattle Ethics and Elections Commission got formed in the 70s, right? I'm getting my yeah. my dates yeah. mixed up here. Okay. <laughs> I was I was I was three then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let me let me ask this way then. Um, so, having been through a fair range of the American geography in your in your career up to now, how do you? Um, how do you find this sits? Uh, this program sits in the um, broader democratic equity narrative that's being, um, you know, fought for day in and day out for the past, you know, several decades. Where does do you see this as a small stepping stone? Is it regarded as um, a fairly significant moment? Um, how how do you see it? Um, I see it as pretty significant, frankly. I mean, like I said, this was not not my idea. This was this was a, a citizen initiative. But I really feel blessed to have had the opportunity to you know to help implement the program for the last two cycles. We've had really some dramatic dramatic changes. Uh, you know, this year seven of our city council members were positions were on the ballot, and four 
of the members elected not to seek re-election. So I do think, you know, I think it's had kind of potentially from one lens, kind of a seismic impact on on elections here in Seattle. So I think some of the reason that has to be ascribed to some of those incumbents not seeking office was knowing that they would be facing well-funded opponents, well-funded challengers. So I think this could be a, a very dramatic development. Could you say that again? Out of Out of seven incumbents, four chose not to run again? Yeah. Yeah. We had four retirements. We've never had more than one retirement in a year since I got here 15 years ago. So it's, I think, obviously we wouldn't want to ascribe all of the, you know, I wouldn't want to say that all of our incumbents were fearful of challengers, but I do wonder whether or not it was a factor in some of their minds in, in their decision to step down. That's a, I mean, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is the, I mean, in terms of discrepancies, then what is the, if somebody uh, enrolls in the democracy voucher program versus somebody who doesn't, what is the, I don't know if you get the numbers, um, but how much of a discrepancy is there? I mean, is, is, are somebody, are some folks running off of multiple fold the amount of, of what folks can raise through the democracy voucher program? Uh, there was a tremendous amount of independent spending this year. Um, our biggest local company is Amazon, and they contributed $1.5 million to an independent expenditure committee. Um, but frankly, most of the candidates supported by that 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 independent expenditure committee were not successful. So, um, but yeah, I think most of the voucher candidates were ultimately outspent, but most of them, like I said, most of them won. So it's a uh, it's really had a dramatic impact on elections here. I mean, it seems that through the democracy voucher program, you sort of get two, you hit two birds with one stone, right? Not only are you raising funds, but you're also essentially canvassing and spreading your political message at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not, you're not just going up to doors, you know, to drop off, drop off your literature, you're also asking those people to support your campaign with dollars. And I think, I'm not sure whether or not, I, it's just a false memory or not, but I think I've seen some research where it is when someone contributes to a cam- candidate, they're far more likely to, to end up showing up and voting for that candidate. Hmm. That could be kind of a chicken and egg thing, but it is it's an interesting fact. Being an experiment, being a prototype, are you basing... Was it based upon specific, uh, I understand it wasn't sort of um, the SEC's initiative, but are you aware at all of the history of it? I mean, is there a, was there a specific um, plans or projects upon which the Democracy Voucher Program was based? I believe it's a law professor from, I think the proposal might have been in the 80s or 90s to distribute... um, democracy dollars or democracy vouchers to to people to help them to kind of level out who is contributing to campaigns or to to give to give a voice to people who right now don't have a voice in funding campaigns i think that was the the origins of it is it a seattle specific lawyer or, or no, this no, is no, national discourse think, yeah it's, it's a national yeah it was initially conceived of as kind of a national program so 
but at some point, some local activists here thought it would be a good idea for our city. Quite interesting. Is there is there something about Seattle that allows for this type of initiative? I mean, you said in Albuquerque, for instance, it was recently just shot down. What's the um and in in Seattle in 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 Washington too? You said on a state level, right? It previously had yeah had been dismissed. Is there something unique to Seattle that um do you see this as being an irreplicable uh program because of something anomalous to the Seattle culture? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I think it can be replicated. I do think that this was the right place to launch it, though, just because it is a, it is a very progressive city and a very prosperous city. So, those two made it, like I said, it passed overwhelmingly here. So, I, but I don't see any reason that looking at what we've achieved, that we're not going to see other cities, which may may initially look a lot like Seattle. It could be San Francisco or or Boston or or another city which shares those attributes that gets in the game next but we will see yeah i would imagine portland or eugene would be uh, looking to mimic it on some regard yeah you know in oregon though there aren't campaign contribution limits at all so that could that i think that was that could actually limit the the power of the program so i don't know what is it in seattle the campaign contribution limits um, it's $500 for candidates who aren't participating in the voucher program. It's $250 for candidates who do participate in the democracy voucher program. Meaning that's the maximum you can get per person as a resident? Yes. Uh, okay. Oh. Exactly. When were those established? Um, they were 700 before the initiative passed in 2015, and that reduced them to 500 I see. So, yeah, there have long been campaign contribution limits in the city of Seattle, and I think most, I think... Oregon is an anomaly in that it doesn't have campaign contribution limits. So how does that work with an entity like Amazon putting 1.5 million? I mean, how is that how is that dispersed in a decentralized way to avoid those limits? Um, the cam- campaign contribution limits apply to contributions to candidates. Um, so, ah. and I'm, the theory beyond that behind that is that a candidate can be corrupted by a large campaign contribution. Um, Amazon spending and the rest of the independent spending was done through independent expenditure committees, which by definition cannot cooperate or collaborate or or collude with a with a campaign. So the Supreme Court, in a decision I probably shouldn't say too much about, anyways, but they did say that that was that it can it cannot be corrupted by an independent expenditure. So mm. that's why the that spending is still rampant here. So I see. So that's the that's that's the gap, huh? Yeah. That yeah, that's an interesting narrative. Um is there anything else in the works through the Seattle Ethics and Elections Commission that's coming up? Um any other programs or spin offs based on this? Uh no, like I said, this is only we've only had our just our first two elections through this cycle, so we I think we're, we really have to, I think it, we're going to be trying to perfect this program. We're not perfect. I don't think you can ever really, you know, you're never done trying to improve things. But I think we're just going to be trying to make improvements before 2021. You have to keep a very close eye on this, I assume, uh, to see how it's developing, to see how it's being used and data collection and things of that sort. Yes. Yeah. Every, or not every, we only did it in 20, 2018, but we'll be doing it again in 2021. 
we're going to be doing kind of an independent assessment of the program, talking to candidates and residents and finding out what they like about the program, what they don't like about it, be improved about it. So we are being very deliberate in making sure we gather information on the program and how it worked. Is the data open source at all uh, in terms of the geographies through which the um, vouchers are being sent and how it's being, you know, how it's mobilizing different parts of different communities? Is, is there a way to gain access to that kind of data? Um, all of the contributor data is, is available on our website. That's all available for, for anybody to, uh, to, to play with, for lack of a better word. Mm. And, you know, with, in terms of the, the assessment, the interviews we do, I'm not sure that we do try to guarantee to folks that they won't be, that they can speak freely so that their reviews are going to be, they'll remain anonymous to us. Right. We really want people <laughs> to tell us if we're not doing a good job without any fear. So that's, that's less, less transparent. As a concept, it, it hits quite a wide range of urban writing that's been fairly popular since the 1960s. And I, I mean, the interesting one is just how you're opening up pockets of the city um, through, a, I mean, if, if I, I understand the complexities of, but it's a fairly simple concept. Um, it is. It is. It is beautiful in its simplicity, but it's, it's kind of bedeviling in its details. But but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it is, it is, that's the best thing about the program. There was one woman who, I think the media talked to her after 20, 2017 elections, who said like she'd never been able to contribute to a candidate before. She, you know, she's on a fixed income, caring for her grandson. And, you know, those are the people who are not contributing to campaigns around the country. But here, she had $100, which she could give to the candidate who she supported so i think that's very very powerful well I, th I think that may be a good note to end on too mr barnett thank you so much for your time um hey you're welcome okay thank you so much take care